Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We recorded this big interview with Alec McLeish live during the Iorite Book Festival in Glasgow. And in part two, we leaf through the chapter of his management career, which is marked player recruitment. We learn how close Alec came to bringing a certain Andres Iniesta to Rangers on loan and the repercussions that his inquiry had at the camp now. Alec also explains how he was urged by his sons to sign a very young Lionel Messi after they discovered the teenage prodigy while they were playing football manager. Alex's time in charge at Ibrox taught him a huge amount about signing players, something which he didn't find easy to achieve at Birmingham City, where he worked under owners who required sugar when it came to agreeing transfers. Alec also reveals his passion for film, from sneaking into a cinema to watch Clockwork Orange at the age of 12, to being invited by Irvin Welsh to attend the world premiere of Trainspotting 2. Choose life. Choose to listen to this big interview. See you on the other side. Can I tease you with a serious question? Um, because um, there's a man in the room, Graham Reynolds, who knows, and I told you that I got the hairdryer treatment for Sir Alex, d- deservedly, before any of the Manchester United players <laughs> did in 1982 in the World Cup, because I ventured that maybe it'd be a good idea to play Jim Layton instead of uh, Alan Ruff, but I phrased it badly by saying, what the fuck is Jock Steen doing playing that? And he, in the middle of the hotel, rounded on me and savaged me in public. Don't you... you know. But aside from the use of vocabulary or the temper, having played for both men and knowing that Jock Steen was revered for Sir Alex, that he influenced him, yeah. would you draw any... Comparisons between the two of them, or which comparisons would you draw? Well, well when, when I worked, worked with uh, Jock Steen as a young Scotland player, you know, I was in awe, awe of the guy, just the guy's presence walking into the room. And the, these were his, his latter days as a coach, as mm. a manager. And, you know, the, the thing that I really learned from Jock was he was the, the, an artist of common sense. And that's what he'd become, you know, and it was, there was nothing that he really said that was, um, you know, mind-boggling, but just the simple things. When I, when I got my debut for Scotland, I, I was playing in midfield and against Portugal, and I'm, 
I'm saying, well, my preparation for this game, this is going to be tough playing in front of the full Hamden crowd, all my friends, parents and that, you know, so I was feeling the, the nerves and I said, and the fact that I'm playing for Scotland, I'm going to have to do a, a Cruyff turn or something like that, you know, or a Ronaldo step over so that I can prove that I'm an international player. And Jock <laughs> took me aside before the game, he says, the reason you're in this Scotland squad and in this team tonight is because of what you've been doing for Aberdeen. Just do the same thing. And, you know, the penny dropped and it sounded so, so simple. I thought, sure, I don't have to do a Cruyff turn. Do you think he'd read, do you think he'd seen that, that the nerves were getting to you and that you might try to... I to, don't think so. I, I don't think so, but... He just knew that I, a young player needs to be told, I, do, the, do the right yeah. things. Yeah, I think it's just, it was just a pure act of common sense. Mm. And, uh, you know, I sailed through the game, made a, made a goal for Andy Gray. And, and had a good debut for Scotland. And, uh, you, you know, that common sense thing, a very small detail, but so important. I introduced you here as somebody who won the, the last treble at Rangers. You were the manager to, to win the last treble at Rangers. It was a very, very successful um, spell for you. And there were ups and downs. One of the things that sticks in everybody's memories, I was away, so I have to admit, I saw it and, and, and understood it less than I would normally have done. But this build-up to Helicopter Sunday and, and why that league was so difficult and what the, the again, this fight back, overhauling something, mm -hmm. Barcelona, Aberdeen. When you could see the tape and the tape looked far away, what was the, the process for you as a Rangers manager? What were you telling yourself? What were you telling your players? What were you drawing from Jock and Sir Alex Ferguson to try and teach them about what you yeah. learned as a footballer? Well, I mentioned it earlier, resilience, and uh, never, ever given up to the final whistle. We, we, all week we said, look, guys, what we cannot do is not beat Hibs. If we don't win this game and Celtic somehow slip up, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. It was that important. And again, we, we kind of brainwashed them with that. And at half-time, you know, big Marvin Andrews was going about with T-shirts. He was a big godly person, and he's, he's given it believe and all that, you know. So he was shouting believe in the dressing room. And, and uh, so everybody's got their own little kind of, um, you know, mantra to, to try and stir things up. And, but they come in at half-time, we're 1-0. Um, it was 0-0. Celtic are 1-0 up at Mullerwell, so the league is theirs. And that was the... Well, that was what I saw in my players' body language as well. They thought the league was theirs as well, except Big Marvin, who was still shouting, Believe! <laughs> <laughs> but I saw Barry, you know, I'm looking at Barry, and I'm saying, come on, you skipper, you're, you're going to have to help me here. And, and uh, we have to remember that if you score one goal, and Muller will score a goal, you've won the league. Make sure you, go, you win this game. If, if Celtic still keep their lead, then you've done everything you could by winning. And we just were relentless in the second half, trying to get it, go for, you know, so Barry's up again, he's going, all right, aye. He was sitting slumped, you know, and then all of a sudden, when I pulled him privately, I said, get in there and get that chest out and get into them all. And he was back in, oh, come on, we're going to win this. And, you know, it rallies people, you, you get 
people that inspire you and, and um, you know, Barry was, was good for that with the lads. Do certain players, however good they are, fold or lack a, a real tungsten hard winning mentality? I mean, not just that day, I'm not talking about that dressing room. Just, have you seen players around you that, that just don't have that? They need to be coaxed into being believers. Yeah, well, part again, part of it is is when you're a leader is trying to um, to give people confidence. Now, it's you can't say to somebody have confidence. You know how how do you go about that as a coach? Well, you know I like to use the modern day sciences like uh, video technology and and show a player the evidence of what he's done, things he's done well. And, and obviously, something you have to show them the other things as the you know the bad times as well when and be constructive. But mostly, it's evidence to to show them what he's, he's doing well to give them that feel good factor. And then, of course, on the training field, the the, the, the practice of a particular. So the players that, that we're talking about lack. now wouldn't but to me, a man have seen you and go. I'm inspired because I've seen what our manager used to do. Yeah. It's all down to what you convince them to do, how you teach them, what confidence your words imbue them with. Is that right? You, you have to, you ha obviously, you have to judge the, 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 the players' mentalities. You know, you have to check if a guy is going to be of your, you know, an extension of you, if yeah, you like. Yeah, yeah, great phrase. And, and, uh, you know, you, you quickly suss that out. And if you're recruiting, then you're, you're, you're going to try and recruit players. Now that's in the wrong order, because you're right, you quickly suss that out. But in your ideal world, I know, because we've often talked about players, yeah. you try and find that out in advance, but it's very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. And if you're finding out if they're an extension of you and have got the right mentality once they're in the club, yeah. then, then what you're doing is trying to prop it back up again if it's not the right mentality. Well, well that's right, and it's really difficult to... You know, you say you've seen some great players, but you've seen some great players coming to Rangers and Celtic over the years, and they haven't been quite able to, to do it because of mentality. You know, Basil Bolly won the European Cup with Marseille, mm. signed for Rangers as a free agent or something in the summer, and it, and it was a failure. You know, at Rangers, they just couldn't handle the, the, the whole concept of Rangers. You know, Rangers Celtic, they're, they're in. Um, a band of clubs in the world who are quite unique, you know, in that they have to win every week. They have to win every yeah. week. Now, for you to have a mentality, I know a lot of the, the Rangers guys who have come this last couple of seasons were good enough to, to get them out of that division. Now, the, their mentality is being tested because once you get a couple of bad results and the crowd starts on you, do they crumble? or do they come to the fore, that's when you find out about mentalities and, and when, it, when there's a bit of adversity. So re recruitment, <coughs> it's, in it's order to, to... Vital recruitment. And, and the fine-tuning of re recruitment, the quality of the information, yep. irrespective of identifying the right talents. Mm -hmm. Now, I, well, there's an opportunity because the big games that I like of yours in England, I, I remember that you were dedicated at some stage in your career to, to prove yourself in England, mm -hmm. which you went and did, because I said in the intro, it's about the first Birmingham Trophy in about 
I don't know, a thousand years, whatever it was. But to get to that final where you defeated Arsenal, you had to stage another huge fight back um, against West Ham. I want to know um, how those two legs went, how things played out. But it's my impression that you, you, you weren't totally in control of all the recruitment at that stage yeah. in that club. A difficult club. Who, who were you being managed by? You had to manage upwards in that club, didn't you? Well, there was, um, you know, what you call, you have to give the directors a bit of sugar, you know, and to get what you want. You know, I, I was um, Nikola Zagic, for instance, a big giant Serbian player who scored for me in that final, us in that final. I was I was speaking to Steve Archibald, who was who was in Barcelona, and Steve was talking about get, giving me a loan. But then the the Chinese owners said that they were going to buy him, and I thought it was a lot of money for the club, and I, he's not he's untested for the English um, Premier, and it might take him a while to settle. But they they insisted in buying him, and the, but they promised, and this is the bit of sugar I give them a bit of sugar, hoping that they can. Give me a couple of players that I wanted, and I was looking at uh, an little Italian, a kind of poor man, Sergio Aguero, Fabrizio Micoli, remember him? Super uh, fantastic little player. And Bobby Zamora was available as well, so these were my two in the hit list. Proven Bobby was scorer. on fire at the time. Proven goal scorer. And, uh, but we didn't get them. But anyway, but going back to, to the West. So my term. point about Ziggich is I remember us talking a lot about Ziggich, and I remember you didn't want to... Yeah, well, I, I think I spoke to you a couple of times and uh, asking you how he was doing in, uh, in Spain. Because he's got the football, he's got the height, the physique, but I know he wasn't what you were talking about before, yeah, yeah. an extension of you. He didn't have the right personality. Yeah. And the goal still stands on his record and your record, but that wasn't the right type of footballer for that but, club. But, you, you know, what, what, what was interesting was I tried to try and find um, another strength from him to, to flourish in England. And he went on a scoring run, but after the cup final, he never played another game. He was, he was done in with his groin. He, um, you know, he would have scored another two or three goals, I'm sure of that. But getting the, getting the picture, I tried to, to get him, look, Nicola, don't come to the ball, build up. We don't really have the players for that. You're a giant of a man. You should be causing havoc in that box. So we tried to, we speeded up the, 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 the um, tempo. Mm. Which the tempo's got to be high, guys. We've got to get crosses in the box for Ziggich. I showed him Peter Crouch videos um, with Big Crouchy, far post. You know, it's basic, you know, basic, but bloody effective. And he, he scored the winner at, at, in a game at West Ham. He scored the, the winner at home to Stoke. Uh, he scored the, the, the winner against Aston Villa in the League Cup. So he was coming really good. And, and of course, he scored in the final. Um, I never had a player, a centre-forward of the calibre that I did when I was at Rangers in, in the sense that I had with Ronald De Boer. De Boer was, was, was a brilliant linker of the play, but Big Ziggich wanted to come to the ball. I said, no, no, don't come to the ball. Stay away in the box. They're shit scared of you in there. Uh, and, and, and that was the case, you know, it was, you know, it's common sense, you know. I think I'm a better coach now than I was when I started with Rangers. But sometimes, again, difficult to get an opportunity again at the, the highest level. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs. 
United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So let's go back to that semi-final that wins you the trophy at Wembley against Arsene Wenger. It's one of the great shocks of English football in, in modern history. Birmingham beating Arsenal. But to get there, you had to yeah. overturn a, 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 a solid West Ham side and a solid West Ham lead from the first leg. What was the mentality of a Birmingham side that wasn't used to triumphs, that wasn't yeah. used to beating the big clubs. It's Midlands against the, the, the fancy Southerners. The first leg is 2-0 two two one, West Ham. 2-1 two one West, two West Ham. And we get to, to, to St Andrews and in the first half, West Ham score. So they're 3-1 up in aggregate and, and it was a really tepid performance from us in the first half. I had um, a small striker up. I thought he, he could be too speedy for West Ham defence. Matt Derbyshire. But as soon as the halftime whistle went, I said, I've got to make an instant change. And I took Matt off, and Ziggich was on the bench. And he went on and he caused havoc. And we beat West Ham 3-1, and, and uh, Craig Gardner scored a couple of goals, but feeding off a Ziggich, you know? And we, we absolutely battered them, steamrolled them in the second half with, with some really fast attacking football. My memory was that the crowd rise to you then, because that's the crowd the... were amazing, yeah. and, and you know, of course, every time I went out as a player, we used to say, we've got to get the crowd going, you know? So that's, that's what it's all about. And how do you get the crowd going? By playing good football, by playing an exciting brand of football that, that they're going to appreciate. And that's um, what we did in that second half. And, they, you know, they, every one of them on their feet. So you knock them out and you go to Wembley and it's Arsenal, Wenger and it's Arsenal. It, it, it shouldn't necessarily be... A winnable game. Oh, no, it was, we were, I don't know what the odds were. Must have been about 100 to 1 or something. How did you plan a game like that? What did you think, this is what we can do to them, there are their weak points, what did you tell the players? Yeah. What was the technical side of... That was, a, that was a really good working week for us. There was no um, distraction of a midweek game or anything, so we had a full week of working, and I worked with the, the defence separately. I worked with the midfield, 
and, I, and we worked with the forwards in different. A, a lot of a lot of it was was discipline against the ball because we knew what Arsenal could do. Uh, so we had to be organised, organised, both in attack and and in defending. But definitely in defending because Arsenal had the flying fullbacks. We yeah, with the wingers going inside. So tactically, we, we, we had to be spot on, but the players had to all buy into it, and they had to give every bit of concentration they had for the entire game, and also the, the energy levels as well. It's your great role all week, isn't just the strategy, it's, yeah. to, it's to imbue them with the belief that they can do this. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it was also, um, you know, as I said, that practical stuff, we brought it up, we, we got the, the, mid, the, mid, the defence, midfield and attackers together for practice on Thursday, but they were working separately and it really worked a treat, you know, because we could get every individual knowing exactly what he was going to be doing and that's the game on the Sunday final. What was the Wembley factor like? You'd played there, you knew what it was like, but presumably when you hear every English player grow up, they want to be in a final at Wembley, yeah. but it can overwhelm you too. It's a daunting place. It's a daunting place to, to go into. The first time I ever played there was for Scotland in 1981. We, we beat England 1-0. Um, and I'd never been in such an energy sapping pitch in my life before. And my, my, the soles of my feet were red raw with blisters and you know, it wasn't a new boots or anything, it was just... Uh, Partly because they did Horse of the Year show and the, and the pitch was <laughs> the pitch was chopped up absolutely everywhere, wasn't it? Yeah. Because it was, this is the game when... It wasn't the pitch that it is nowadays, but... Steve but, Archibald goes down for the penalty and... But even the arena, and it's not the arena it is now, but it was still, um, you know, a, a daunting place. And, it, and again, it's, it, it is kind of energy something, you know, when you've got the opposition. But fortunately, we had about 60,000 Scots there in the crowd. But that game, and then going to Wembley with Birmingham and winning in, in the new Wembley against Arsenal was, was just one of the, the greatest achievements in my career. Obafemi Martins, how, how the hell did he end up playing for Birmingham? Wonder kid at Inter Milan, Aye. unbelievably talented footballer. He, he gets the, your first goal that day, right? He got the winner. The winning, winning goal He got the winner. Um, big Ziggich, you know, interesting enough, and again, this is the fine detail when, when um, before the game, I went into the wee ante room with the, the, the video analyst and Ziggich. And at Aston Villa, a, a few weeks before, we, we drew one each at St Andrews. And Ziggich had a real good chance in the last minute of the game when he went up against the goalkeeper. But I noticed he kind of did the tortoise with the neck, you know. He, he withdrew it. And I said, listen, you're, you keep that head extended, you know, and you're going to beat goalkeepers even. And I showed him the video of that before that game. And then the corner we worked on, Roger Johnson, the edge of the box, headed it goalwards, and Ziggich goes up with the goal and he's stretched <laughs> the neck, you know. And I'm, I'm saying, unbelievable. I, I felt so, you know, so happy that I'd actually showed him that before the game. You know, you imagine sometimes you, you might skip over it and say, oh, come, I'm, I'm not going to bother. You know, he should be able to do it himself. But you can't find detail. What makes the big difference. So I mentioned Obafemi Martins as a little bridge towards um, small players, small players of talent. S small and quick, yeah. Small and quick. Um, you were the goal as well. You mentioned John. Um, I knew that you caused havoc at Barcelona by, as Rangers manager, trying to sign 
first of all, Leo Messi, and then that sort of transmogrified into Anderson. I wish, Iesta. I wish. Um, I, he might have got a game every now and again, I suppose. <laughs> tell, tell me about how it happens, because John, your son, is involved in giving you priceless information, yeah, recruitment John, information. John and, Jamie, <clears throat> John and Jamie were into that championship manager, and young fellas in here all know what it is. And he, and he was constantly giving me names in South America, and then, um, you know, they come up. This guy, Leo Messi, is going to be the best player in the world. I don't, he was 13 or 14, maybe, at the time. And you kind of dismiss it, you know. But then, <coughs> when it came to the Rangers, and we were downsizing, we were looking for new players, quality, to try. I, I, I needed somebody with, with some quality in midfield. Barry Ferguson, I think, had gone. Um, down to Blackburn, so we, we'd lost a guy who would have taken the ball in any stadium anywhere in the world. We needed players of that ilk again, and Messi, we were told flatly, no chance. Jan Vouters said, I'll phone uh, Tenkat. Hank Tenkat, yeah. Hank Tenkat was the assistant of Frank Reichard, the, the, the big Dutch, ex-Dutch international, and uh, Jan Vouters phoned him, and said, uh, you know, with Messi, no, no, no chance, absolutely no chance. And anybody, and he said, look, we've got a young kid, um, Iniesta, and he's, he's, he's a phenomenal player. He, he was only, would it be 18, 19? Just, yeah. And uh, we said, well, can he come to Scotland? And they said, yeah, we'll, we'll try and, I'll try and make some hay at Barcelona and get him over to you, he needs to, he needs to get some action. And uh, Monday, I think, by the Monday, Iniesta was called into the team, and he played a stormer, and um, Rijkaard, uh, or Tenkat came back on the Monday, and Hans, uh, Jan Wouter said, um, what about the wee man, where are we getting him? And he, he said, he's in the first team squad now. And that was against Juventus, in the pre-season game, and prior to that, what had happened, galvanised by your inquiry, was that the Catalans... I didn't realise I caused a shitstorm in Absolutely. Barcelona. There's no, there's no question whatsoever about it, that the Catalans at the club were saying to the two Dutchmen, Vouters and Rijkaard, we pay you, we stuck by you when the, the going was bad, show some bollocks, make a decision. Does he go out on loan, or does he stay? And if he stays, play him. And Reichard and Vouters were both looking at Chelsea under Mourinho. If possible under Mourinho, every player six foot or over. Every player an athlete, a runner. Ability, yes, but physique and athleticism always first. They both thought that that was the future. And then your inquiry came closer than anybody knew at the time. And I think closer than anybody's appreciated since that Iniesta would have been sent out to you on loan. Which I suppose, given that Arteta had already come to Rangers under you, yeah. and had, Arteta had left Barcelona because he saw in front of him in the number four position in front of the defence, Guardiola and Xavi at that stage. And therefore, there was a context for this. Yeah. It, it, it could have happened. It seems, okay, harder to believe now given that he's become what Xavi says is Spain's greatest player. But you seize them, get the right information, you've got the right connections, and, and strange yeah. things can happen in the market. That's it. You know, the, the, the recruitment is, is really important and you make, people make a lot of mistakes. And, you know, going in to, to clubs that 
some clubs have gone into, they didn't really have a database. Uh, I had to put one into Aston Villa and in the short time I was there. They never had anything, despite having all the tools. You know, they had the ProZone, they had um, Scout, everything. They had the analysts, but there was no database in there. And by the time I left, I'd left them with a couple of hundred names, you know. So that, that for me, is very important, you, you know, in, in any club that you have that infrastructure, and especially a club of that magnitude who can afford it, and they really should have had a, a, a database. Change the tone before we go to a question and answer. Um, one of the things I've always loved about you that we share is a, a total love of, uh, of cinema. Um, you are involved... Have in seen La La Land yet? No. I was in it. <laughs> I was Ryan Gosling's dance double. <laughs> Sometimes treble. Um, I, I just think that you and I share an adoration of the cinema and its practices. You, you know a lot of cinematic people. I just want to start by saying what the first cinematic impact that you had, you going to the cinema where, what type of film, what did that moment feel like? I think it, it, I would have to go way back to my childhood with my mum my, my and dad. You know, my dad always bought the box of Maltesers and... Uh, we, I think it was those magnificent men in the flying machine, something like that, was Super. the first cinematic uh, experience. Terry Thomas. Yeah, yeah, that, that was it, and that's, that was kind of hooked. But my, my mother, my father, my family, a lot of them here, they, they were all movie buffs, and they, they always liked to talk about... Would you go every week? The big stars. Yeah, we went uh, most weeks when, when I was growing up, yeah. And your favourite stars Sneaked would be? Sneaked into to see, in 1971, I was, well, what age would I have been then? 12. And, I, and uh, somehow I get into the local flea pit to watch Clockwork Orange, um, which was pretty brutal, you know, for a 12-year-old. But... Uh, it would explain yeah. some of the tackling under fair. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> Gave me great, great inspiration. I'm in trouble now. Great inspiration. And then through the years, who do you follow? Which film stars? Which movies would make your top list? The, 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 um, De Niro, presumably. The Mafia. De Niro, I just loved, you know, and then and, uh, Once Upon a Time in America, the, the um, Godfather 2 that he was in. And, and I've lo always loved De Niro stuff, and uh, recently he's kind of getting into kind of comedy stuff. But I love to see our own guys, you know, doing doing really well. In For this, example, in this country. Well, well I saw we Compton the, the other night and playing uh, Peter Manuel, the famous Glasgow murderer, and he gave a great performance. Dougree Scott is uh, a great pal who he's a hubby, um, but a, a great actor. And guys like Robert Carlyle, Ewan McGregor, you know, our own guys. Fantastic. The Spotting mob. Such is your influence that when Spotting 2 was given a world premiere, you were, you were supposed to be at it. <coughs> um, yes, uh, name dropping here. So uh, <laughs> I got, got an, an invitation through a, a guy called John Baird, who was the, the director of Filth, the one that James McAvoy, another brilliant Scottish actor, James McAvoy was in, and uh, John... And I quickly established a relationship. He, he said he worked with Scorsese and uh, Mick Jagger on vinyl. It was one of these, um, you know, the box set productions and, and uh, it was going on for about 12 weeks or something. And he worked in an episode with Scorsese and, uh, 
and I said, Mick Jagger, and he says, but when he met me, he said, Alec, I'm telling you, I was more chuffed meeting you than I was there too. <laughs> 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 so that's not a bad accolade. Um, and, but, and but, then, but then the, the, the invitation, John says, look, Irvin's going to send you an invite to T2, uh, the world premiere in Edinburgh. And I saw, oh, yeah, beauty. So, you know, I've told Jill, and then she says, no, you can't go. We're going to Morocco the next morning and a seven o'clock plane from well, one of the London airports. And I had to phone Irvin and ask him to put it back a wee bit, you know. And <laughs> and choose life, choose Agadir. <laughs> so why, why, does, why does Sean Connery always pester you on the phone? Sean Connery, God. Rangers, David Murray phoned me. I'm in the car and I collect the phone on. Hi, Chairman. Alan, I've got somebody to speak to you here. And this guy comes on and goes, Alan, it's Sean Connery here. <laughs> no, I'm not very good at that. But, but <laughs> I says, of course it is. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the phone goes again. And uh, it's David Murray. He says, Alan, you just cut off Sean Connery there. <laughs> he says, it's... John wants to wish you all the best. And uh, I says, you take the piss, Chairman. And it really was Sean, you know. And, and he come on and he's talking away. And I'm saying, oh, Jesus, this is surreal, you know. I'm talking to Sean Connery here. And, and he came to one of the games um, in, in Prague where he was, he was filming. And he came into the dressing room, very, very friendly with David Murray. But um, brilliant. He phoned them. Um, again, I, I was living in um, the Midlands. And we were in Stratford on Avon, and I was at lunch with Jill, and I get the phone call, and I, I see, I hear the voice again. Alec, it's Sean Connery. I says, I know it is you this time, you know. <laughs> he says, I've done this before, haven't we? And he says, Have you got Strachan's number, you know? So. <laughs> Actually, you are quite good at that. Isn't uh -huh. it? Yeah. Let's try. Yes, well, money penny. Yes, Miss. <laughs> Well, Miss, Miss, Miss Moneypenny, yes. Um, <laughs> no, Miss, Miss Moneypenny, she says to me, James, I, I think you're cracking. And I says to her, Miss Moneypenny, you're not so bad yourself. <laughs> so anyway, enough of the jokes. But uh, Sean phoned for Gordon Strachan's number, and I, as I was reading it out, Gordon's number, I, I better not give it out, but his, his number ended in 007. <laughs> It's true. And I'm, I'm, I was killing myself as I was reading out. I said, Sean, 007, and he's going, you take the piss. <laughs> the Big Interview is produced by Backpage and me, Graham Hunter. The music you always hear, the music that you love, is Beer Jacket. You can keep up with everything that we do within reason. You can enter exclusive competitions and put your questions to our future big interview guests by getting on the mailing list at grahamhunter.tv. How many times do I have to tell you? Yes, several thousand of you have done it, but come on, slackers at the back, sign up. That grahamhunter.tv site is also where you can buy the new updated version of my book, Barca, The Making of the Greatest Team in the World. It's my account of the Guardiola era at the camp now. 2008 until 2012 
plus Tito, Tata, and Adios Johan Cruyff. It is in all good bookshops now, but it does also make a big difference to all of us who've worked on the project if you choose to buy direct at grahamhunter.tv forward slash books. You'll be sure to get the new edition and you will be helping us to continue producing independent content. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being there. Without you, this would be fun, but a lot less fun. See you soon.